Welcome to this episode of the Pokes Podcast through OSU's College of Arts and Sciences. Our guest today is Matthew Mungle, a former OSU student who studied theater and went on to become a renowned Academy Award-winning makeup artist and designer. In addition, Matthew became a successful business owner specializing in makeup design and special effects and prosthetics. During our conversation, we covered his time at OSU, what it's like to work in Hollywood, and why Gary Oldman is one of his favorite actors to work with. Matthew, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you. It's so nice to be with you today. Tell me a little bit about where you're from growing up in Oklahoma um, and just what life was like before you got to OSU. Well, I was born in Durant, Oklahoma, but I was raised in Atoka, Oklahoma on a farm. And I had four other siblings, two older brothers, one older sister, and an, a younger sister. And my mom and dad ran the farm and uh, it was a Guernsey milk farm. So they would milk 250 cows a day. I was raised by a father and mother who had extremely good work, work ethics. And they taught me that. And I am so proud to have, have been raised that way because it has has come to fruition through my life and through working in Hollywood and working with other people. About the age of maybe eight or younger, I got introduced to films. One of them in particular is Seven Faces of Dr. Lau. Yes. And I was amazed at how Tony Randall, who is from Oklahoma, was turned into various characters in the film. And I was just amazed at how they did it and I I didn't understand that's one actor playing all those characters and I later found out of course it's a makeup artist who does that work and creates those characters on that actor and so I was fascinated by that and then in 1968 of course Planet of the Apes came out and uh, that was all she wrote for me I knew I wanted to do makeup from there I, I had already been interested in it before that, but when that came out, that was it. Uh, that, that was what I was going to do for the rest of my life. You know, I was sidetracked as I was growing up. But however, after buying uh, a few makeup books, and especially the Richard Corson stage makeup book, which I really learned from at the beginning, I basically taught myself how to do makeup when I was still in Atoka, Oklahoma. Then in 1972, one of the uh, Planet of the Apes films came out. I think it was Battle for the uh, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. It was one of those. I thought, well, I'm going to do, do a makeup as an ape, a chimpanzee on myself, and take some pictures and send it in to a nationwide magazine who judges makeup and stuff. And so I did that. And at the same time, I showed it to my friend who, uh, her name was Teresa Thompson, and her father owned the local theater, movie theater in town. And she said, can I take this and show it to my dad? Because I knew that the movie was coming into town and was going to be into town. 
So she did. And I got a call from him that night asking me if I would dress up and walk around town, dress up as the ape and chimpanzee and walk around town and promote the show for the matinee and the nighttime show and then on Sunday and everything. And I said, of course I would. And he said, I can pay you. And I go, oh, okay. Wow. So I got up on Saturday morning at five o'clock and I put the makeup on me and, you know, in my house and then left and drove from my house, which was about five miles from the town. And I'm sure I got looks driving there. (laughs) I, I would think I was a freshman or sophomore in high school at that time. And, um, I knocked on the theater door and the movie theater door and he opened it and he just kind of stood back and go, wow, I wasn't expecting this. This is great. You look wonderful. And I go, well, thank you. You know, awesome. and he said, I've made a sign for you. All I want you to do is, uh, you know, walk around town, just promote the show and stuff. Well, I did that all day, all day. And it was my first paid job as a makeup artist. And I also felt what it was like to be an actor under the makeup. Yes. So I didn't talk to anybody. I grunted and made chimp sounds, never talked. And nobody knew who I was. Yeah, we so that was that I, performance art. <laughs> I'm telling you, until 11 o'clock that night, I kept the makeup on the whole day. It was one of the best days of my life starting out, you know. And then cut to, I was hired at the theater to do more promotions as they came out. And I came up with different characters, Frankenstein and Dracula and all kinds of things, promoting shows. Then I graduated from Atoka High School in 1975 and was enrolled in Oklahoma State University. Mm-hmm. Well, I was enrolled there because my brother, my, both of my brothers had gone there before me. And I think when my older brother, not my oldest, but my older brother was there, uh, my parents were always going back and forth up there because dad was on the alumni association and um, he had gone to OSU when it was the Aggies, I guess, Mm -hmm. uh, before he went to the war in in the 40s. I think my brother Mason Mungle had a girlfriend who was in the theater department. Oh, my. And Yeah, and she took me to the theater, and we went backstage, and she showed me how everything was done. And uh, again, that was it. That was it. I was sold. I was always into theater anyway. I loved musicals and stuff like that. But to see behind the scenes and see how it all works was just glorious for me. So that's how I went through high school and in Atoka, Oklahoma, growing up in a population 4,000 town, getting interested in makeup. Who knew? Who knew? Right. And what I hear from what you're saying is that you had two that's all she wrote experiences, that once you got your hands within your art and you experienced it and were fully immersed in it, you knew without a shadow of a doubt that's what you were meant to do because you knew what it felt like. Absolutely. I just felt that that was my calling. First, I thought I wanted to be an artist and, you know, paint pictures. And that, that, that didn't kind of pan out. I thought it was more interesting 
as a three-dimensional uh, art rather than a two-dimensional art on, on my own face. So I would do makeups on myself, which is very difficult in, the, in front of a mirror. Yeah, I was just sold on it, and I knew that's what I wanted to do, and that was my dream. I was going to follow it. Yes. So I will give you a little bit of background. I have two degrees in theater, and my master's is in directing. So I understand a bit of the process on how it can be transformative in that final stage of understanding the character and things really pull together. It can really change the way an actor portrays the character physically when they feel like they start to look the character, especially if it's outside of themselves. So this is something that maybe our normal audience might not understand how key that final stage of the process is. Oh, absolutely. When I'm making up actors, when I was, uh, you know, in Hollywood and making up actors, they would, they would absolutely love to see themselves transform in the mirror because it gave them a sense of getting into the character and becoming that character. I mean, it, it was stated in the Richard Corson book, and I remember that when I read it the first time in 1970, 71, 72, whenever it was, you can do the best makeup ever, but if the actor that you're doing it on, or if you, do not become that character, then that makeup is for naught. It is, is absolutely useless. To, to do a makeup and watch an actor transform is overwhelmingly happy time for me. <laughs> yes. We hear that phrase often, getting into character. And we think of it as this philosophical, maybe emotional experience, but it truly is immersive in the way that you're describing, learning to live in the skin. So to look like a character, to learn to sound like a character, to fuse maybe the prosthetic with the natural body, and for that to truly be who the character is. Absolutely. If I hadn't become a makeup artist, I always say this, I would have become a character uh, actor. Because just to be an actor is, is okay, but to become a character actor, that's why Gary Oldman and I got along so well, is because he is a character actor, and he gets into his roles, and he becomes, he's not a leading man, he becomes that character as the makeup artist and the actor figure out where that character is going to. Let's go back to 1975 to 1977, your time at Oklahoma State University within the theater department. What memories do you have of those two years? Well, as you can tell by the smile on my face, it was an experience that I would never change in my lifetime. It was my uh, introduction to the real world, so to speak, or my introduction of moving on to the real world, my stepping stone. As I said, I had already been up to OSU to football games and stuff since I was a kid, so I knew OSU. But to be introduced to the theater when I was younger, the OSU uh, theater was magical for me. And when I enrolled in OSU, I knew I was going to be a theater major, and that's what I enrolled in as a theater major. 
Of course, I had to take all the other classes, but I think the first week I was there, I had already put a portfolio together of all my things I'd done in, in Atoka with all my characters and building costumes. Not only did I do makeup, I also did build my own costumes and did, did various characters. So I took my portfolio into the theater. I knew Dr. Davis there, Jerry Davis. So I went to him and also Dr. Cox, Kenneth Cox, yes. and showed him my them my portfolio. They looked through it. They looked at me and go, we can definitely put you to work right now. Exactly. I was, that was that was music to my ears. That made me, that filled my soul so much when they said that. Because I was already on the track and they knew it, that I knew what I wanted to do in my life. Besides acting and doing costumes, my first passion was makeup. So I think the first play that they did that season was Skin of Our Teeth. And there were all those, those the dinosaur and the characters. So they put me down in the, uh, the costume shop and the prop department, and I was just in heaven. Uh, all the rest of my classes went by the wayside. I you know, had to do those, but that was that was my home was the theater department and along with that i met so many friends there that i still call friends some of them have passed away but um i it was my time to grow up it was my time to invest in my career it was my time to to grow really as a human being and an artist and uh, and meeting the friends and becoming part of the theater people, you know, made me so happy. It, it was, I, I can't say enough about it, you know. It was my growing up time. I hear you through and through. And what you're describing is what so many incoming college students ache for. They're excited about, but they don't know it yet because they just haven't had a chance to experience it. And anyone who has had a college experience, if they really connected well with whatever discipline or craft or art form, they understand it and it was lovely in its time because they felt connected. So what you're describing is kind of what we shoot for, what we hope for with any college student as they come in or as they turn and look back at their time. Thank right. you so much for being open about that. That's wonderful. Oh, no, absolutely. And it was, it was also my time of, of discovering myself as a gay man and uh and being accepted into a group that is so accepting because they're so creative yes uh and that alone is a plus right there i didn't really realize what focus i had until i was moving to hollywood on the and i stopped in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and stayed with my cousin. And she said, she said, you are so lucky that you found what you wanted to do so early in your life because so many people don't. And it clicked on at that time, and that was 1970, December 1977, that I have a purpose in life. 
you know. And it started back in Atoka, but it was reinforced at OSU. Yes. Uh, with Vivian Block and uh, uh, Mrs. Sharp and, and all of those wonderful professors and, and teachers of mine. It was a very happy time. Very the happy. The legacy of the professors that you're talking about, Dr. Cox and Vivia Locke, um, which we still have the theater that bears her name. I've spent yeah. many hours in rehearsal and directing there and working. Right. Yes, the legacy lives in your artwork. Oh, so absolutely. I would love to talk about, you kind of moved us into that transition as you moved into your career and your move out to Hollywood. Tell me a little bit about kind of your first gig and getting connected on the West Coast. Going back a little bit, uh, it started in the summer of 77. I knew I wanted, to, I'd always wanted to work at uh, an amusement park. So I thought, well, I'll try out, maybe I'm talented enough to be one of the characters at Astroworld in Houston. So I tried out, was minutes failed miserably on that. <laughs> but I wanted to definitely go down to Astral World and work, no matter what it was. Because it was Houston, it was a bigger city. I wanted I loved Houston at the time. I wanted to go down there. So I applied and was accepted to work at Astral World in the summer of nineteen seventy seven. So I went down there and then uh, I was down there before Memorial Day, and Memorial Day comes around, and a little film called Star Wars comes out. A little well, film called. <laughs> I, see I see that, and that, again, it just reinforced, okay, I have to be in Hollywood. I have to do this. You know, I was I already planned to go back to OSU and finish another semester, a fall semester in 1977, and during the summer of 77 down in Houston, they had a comic convention and Rick Baker was going to be there. Rick Baker is a very big name in the makeup effects industry. And so I went to the comic convention, showed him my little portfolio and he, oh, this is really nice. I said, well, I'm thinking about moving to Los Angeles, you know, in, in the fall. And you know, going to this school called um, the, one of the schools. And he said, no, don't go there. Go to the Joe Blasco Makeup Center. And I go, oh, okay. Jotted it down, made sure, and then thanked him, you know, left. And I left that meeting and I went straight to the phone and called the Joe Blasco Makeup Center. And I said, I need some information. So they sent me the information in, in Houston. I finished my time at um, Astroworld stayed there until uh, uh, Labor Day. We got an incentive if we stayed over Labor Day. Started, went back to Stillwater, started school there late, like a week later, I think. But when I got to Stillwater, I called my, my brother. I didn't want to call my dad. I called my brother. I said, crying to him, going, I cannot stay here any longer. I have to move to Hollywood. I have to see if my dream is going to go to fruition. I have to do this. He said, okay, I'll make you a deal. I'll, um, I'll call dad and I'll tell him, you know, to tell him about this and everything. I said, I appreciate that. So 30 minutes later, my dad calls me and says, so I hear you want to move to Hollywood. <laughs> I go, 
Yeah, I I really think I need to move to Hollywood to see you you know you know and he knew growing up that I had a special talent. You know, I wasn't like I wasn't going to go back to the farm and and deal with cows and everything. So he said, "I'll make you a deal. If you finish this semester, you can move to Hollywood, to Los Angeles, in uh, in December." And as long as you're enrolled in a, a, um, a techno school, school out there. Uh, and I said, by the way, it's the Joe Blasco Makeup Center. I already have information on it. I've already done my research. And then he said, okay, that's a deal. I think he hung up the phone and immediately called Dr. Cox and said, okay, this is what my son wants to do. Do you think he's, and of course, Dr. Cox, absolutely, absolutely. He, this is what he needs to do. And I'll check the school out with him and uh, we'll go through it. So I think the next day, Dr. Cox called me into his office and said, let's have a meeting. Let's go out to lunch and they have a meeting about this. And I go, okay. So we went to the hideaway and sat down. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, uh, had a pizza and we talked about it. And I said, here's all the information. I think it's a really good school. And, you know, this is before the internet. You'd have to call or write and all that stuff. So I got that approved. And that semester, I failed all of my classes. Oh, Every no. one of my classes, except for Scenic Design by Jerry Davidson. I think I got an A-plus in that. Because <laughs> that was so intriguing to me. But all the other subsequent cl classes and everything, I got it. C or a D or even F, you know, because my mind was not on school. My mind was already in Hollywood yes. and going to Hollywood. What am I going to do? How am I going to do this? So December the 26th, the morning, early morning, I had my car loaded up. I get in my car. My mother was crying profusely. My dad was beaming saying, okay, when you get to Hollywood, don't drive on Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> I'm sure he'd heard Sunset Boulevard is bad. I said, I won't, I won't. First thing I did when I got there, I drove into him. <laughs> uh, anyway, and, and I, as I told you, I told my cousin when I stayed in uh, Santa Fe with her on the, you know, drive out to Hollywood, got up the next morning, drove into Hollywood. I think I reached there at night. Uh, I stayed at the Holiday Inn on on Highland Avenue near Hollywood Boulevard for the night. The next morning, I got up, went to the school, introduced myself. Joe Blasco was there. He came out, introduced himself. I wow. said, oh. He said, so you're the young kid from Oklahoma. I said, yeah, here's my portfolio. And because he hadn't seen it up to them. They were just had accepted me. And he looks at me again and goes, you've done a lot before you've come here. That's great. And I was, I had just turned 21 too. So, you know, it was either do it or get out. So, right. so that this is, so I went to the Joe Blasco Makeup Center from February to May of 1978. And it was the first time in my life through technical school, through school, that I absorbed more than I ever have in my life because I wanted to do that. I was inquisitive about everything. I 
soaked it up like a sponge. It was it was amazing to me how much information was out there, still is out there. Yes. That you can learn. So I graduated from there in May of 1977. Uh, right after that, Joe Blasco put me to work as a teacher at the school to reinforce, and it gave me a chance to reinforce what I had learned, also to deal with people, because I was from Oklahoma. I was this little country bunkin, you know, and, you know, my, my social skills were there, but they were needed to be honed a little bit. So it gave me a chance to deal with people and teach what I'd learned, and it reinforced what I had learned. So I worked there on and off for about three years or so, but within that time, Joe would get uh, jobs that would come in and he'd refer me to them. So I would go out on those jobs uh, during those two years I was there maybe. And it, it just started steamrolling from there because every job I did, everybody knew that I love this art so much that I would give 150%. Right. And I would work for free sometime just just to get the experience, just to do the work and reinforce what I had learned and uh, and just my, make myself a better artist. So it just snowballed from there. And once I stopped teaching at Joe Belasco Makeup Center, he got really mad at me. He said, you're going out to his industry because I was leaving as a good teacher. He had a good teacher there, but I knew I wanted to go the next step and learn and start working on television and movies. So uh, it just kind of snowballed from there. I love hearing kind of some recurring themes snowballing together. So early, early on, you were talking about the influence of your parents and their work ethic. And I see that in you were ready with your portfolio at every moment and that you were jotting down and following up. And so each of those connections were offered to you, but you took the step to make them happen. And we hear the work ethic and the just deep passion for what you wanted to do in all of that through your stories thus far. I love hearing that, Matthew. Well, I always say that to kids who are starting out in makeup. And I, I tell them, make sure it's your passion. Make sure it's really what you want to do. Because life is way too short to not do what you want to do and to, to build your life on a profession that you enjoy and that you love doing every day of your life. Otherwise, you, you might need to start something else because it may not be for you. Right. So um, it, it's important to love what you do just because you you're a good artist and you can do those things doesn't make you a good makeup artist or a person to deal with other people or other uh, personalities, so to speak. Yes. So as a makeup artist, I always learned and always have learned that you are not the end all be all. It's the director, the actor, the producers, you're just below the line. You're just somebody there to help them create their dreams. So you, you need to understand that in the beginning, that you're not the actor, 
your face is not there up on the screen, but your work is up there on the screen. Yes. So you have to do 150%, and you have to get along with people so much. Even though you may be the best makeup artist or actor in the world, it's so important to get along with people. Matthew, you speak in such humility, especially for someone who has an Academy Award under their belt, and I want to ask you about that. What was it like working on Bram Stoker's Dracula, which you did win an Oscar for Best Makeup Design? Tell me about that entire experience. What was it like? And did you know that you had produced something special while you were working on it? Absolutely to all of those questions. Um, I had worked in 1990, I had worked on uh, Edward Scissorhands. That was my first real union job after I got into the union with V. Neal. And V. Neal had worked and knew Greg Canham at that time. That was 19, uh, the beginning of 1990, around April to June of 1990. Within that time, between 1990 and 1991, when I worked on Brad Stoker's Dracula, I got to know uh, Greg Cannon. The beginning of 91, uh, I worked on Hook. And Greg was doing some makeup effects on there. And I really got to know him on that because I was in the makeup department and he was in, he was doing special stuff on the show. So uh, we ran into each other on the set. So we got, became friends and, and acquaintances and, and stuff like that. And when Bram Stoker's Dracula came up in August, I got a call if I would work with him on that because he was designing all of the, the, the makeups and everything else. And he said, I need to, I need somebody there with me to help me apply the makeups and also be on the set with the makeups. And I said, absolutely. I'm there for you. So I was hired on as the um, makeup effects applicator on the show to help Greg do the makeup ap applications and then stand by to do those applications and watch those during it. So we started out and I think we started in September production and it was like a dream come through because Dracula was one of my favorite characters besides Frankenstein and Creature from the Black Lagoon and the Mummy and all that stuff. And to work on a show that was Bram Stoker's Dracula was just magical for me. Uh, the sets were amazing. The 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 actors were amazing. I had worked with Winona Ryder on Edward Scissorhands, so we knew each other, so we'd say hello to each other every day. Working with Gary Ullman was the one of the highlights of my career, my life, everything. He was so amazing as a person, as a human being, as an actor. He was just phenomenal. And he loved makeup and loved sitting there and and having the makeup done to me, to him, and watching himself transform into those characters. So it was a dream, another dream come true, just working on that show. And Greg would come in in the morning and uh, we'd apply Gary's makeup together and then Gary, uh, then Greg would leave before Gary was on the set and I would be there all day watching over Gary, making sure everything was still glued and touching him up 
And then uh, Stuart Ardingstall, who made all of Gary's hair pieces, was there with me too, because we were Gary's team and we had our own trailer to do Gary. And uh, uh, we would clean him up at the end of the night. And uh, it was it was just absolutely wonderful. It was it was a uh, it was a, a great great experience. Wow, that is almost otherworldly for those of us who don't know what that industry is, and and many of our audience that we're hearing some of the behind the scenes things for the first time. When you say magical, it truly is to us because it's a whole world that we don't quite know about. Right. Believe me, it, it is magical. It's still magical to me to think back that I worked on that and I was there. And every scene I watch, if I watch the movie again, I was, I was just right off screen right there watching the monitor, watching Gary. Oh, I was just right there. Oh, I remember this scene. It just, it was just the perfect eye. What memories. Wow. Now that experience um, was something that for you as a makeup designer also translates to you as a business owner because you started your own company called WM Creations Incorporated. You have found a bit of a niche within this very specialized industry that you focus on prosthetics. And from what I understand, your company is very good at that. Can you tell me a little bit about what it was like to start your company and then to kind of develop that and cultivate that? Right after Bram Stoker's Dracula, we finished production on that. Even before we finished production on that, uh, a friend of mine who had also gone to the Joe Blasco, another makeup artist, who had gone to the Joe Blasco Makeup Center and was James Woods' makeup artist, uh, contacted me. But while we were still working on Bram Stoker's Dracula and asked me to work on Citizen Cohn, which was starring James Woods. And it was for HBO. It was about Roy Cohn. And it was basically turning Jimmy into Roy Cohn. So I had to do nose, noses and all kinds of ball pates and, and a, a, an AIDS uh, death look on him and et cetera, et cetera. And, and I was working on that towards the end of, Bram Stoker prepping that during while I was working on Bram Stoker's Dracula. So I was very busy at that point. And then once Bram Stoker's Dracula came to an end, I went immediately to Philadelphia to shoot that show. Uh, I, I shot that show in uh, February, March, and April of 1991. We finished that. Right after that, I decided, I think, to open my own shop and I, I wanted to have my own business and run my own business because I knew it was going to put me on to another level and I really wanted to make that next step you know besides being a makeup artist on the set I wanted to design the makeups and apply them on the set instead of just applying somebody else's work so I opened it. Uh, basically, I was still in my garage working with it. My partner, John Jackson, and I set up a corporation, uh, a company, and uh, called it WM Creations. And uh, at, then at one point, I think it was right after I won the Academy Award, because that was in 1992. After that, I decided 
we both decided we needed to get the business out of the house. So we went out and rented a little workspace. The jobs were slow at first and then just started coming in. But it was my time to start hiring people slowly, one by one, and uh, usually only a crew of two or three. It took me to that next level of letting things go a little bit, not the quality of stuff, but letting other very talented artists do their work also. Um, I knew, however, I was in charge. I knew what I wanted. I knew what production wanted, but yet they were artist employees that would work with me to come up with a vision of what the production needed. However, as an owner of a company, you have to understand and the employee of the film that they have hired, you have to understand everything comes down on your shoulders. So if your artist messes up on something, it's not them that gets the brunt of, of the director or producer, it's you that own the company and are hired by the production to do the work. So it was a learning curve there at first because I was very hands-on uh, at the very beginning because up until then I did my own work. I made my own molds, did all my sculpting, you know, ran the pieces, went to the set to apply them, et cetera. One man show, you know, basically. Within that time, before Bram Stoker's Dracula and Edward Scissorhands, I had done a few other small jobs. And one of them was The Kindred, which I did all the makeup effects on and low-budget things like uh, Navy Seals and Monster High and uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrel, all of those things. And I'd hire one or two people. But up until then, I didn't have a business that I was working out of. So it was, uh, it was a growing experience for me. I did have my faults. I was told early in my career that if you want a successful career, you look at it as a ladder, one step at a time. If you take, try to take two steps or even three steps, you're going to fall back five steps. Eventually, at one point, you've got to take those steps very carefully and very methodically. Otherwise, uh, you you might mess up and fall back, you know. Right. So you have to be very, very careful how you plant your foot as you're going through your career. Yes, yes. That is a whole different thing for an artist. And I hear you kind of describing a process of trust. So taking the work and you know what's in your head and you know how that comes out through your hands but then also taking the design and trusting it with someone else and, and then kind of allowing them to have their own artistic expression with how they understand that design. So I'm sure that must be very difficult as a business owner. Oh, absolutely. It was very difficult. I mean, at, towards the beginning, I would do all the sculpting and then have them mold it or we would mold the things together and, and stuff like that. But uh, as time went on and we, I would get two or three jobs or four or five jobs at the same time, I couldn't do everything. I just had to, had to oversee. And by getting really talented artists to work with you, 
you can make those dreams come true, you know, basically. Okay, so I'm going to connect the culmination of your work back to some of our students that are up and coming, and they're probably listening and learning from your work and your experiences and um, victories and failures. Tell me, as you have moved through your career and where you are this, this far into it, do you have a list of do's and don'ts that you would pass along to our students as they are in their education and looking to get into their industry? Absolutely. Do's. Number one, be humble. There was a great makeup artist. His name was John Chambers. He came up with all of the Planet of the Apes looks in 1968. I was glad to meet him in uh, the mid-80s. Actually, when I first moved out to Hollywood, I met John Chambers. And I think the third time or second or third time I met him, I was showing him to the door of the, the makeup effects place I was working at. He turned around to me, put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, son, just remember, be humble. And that always stuck with me. Coming from a makeup artist, designer, a really talented artist, saying that to me out of the blue was the most humbling experience I could ever ask for. So the do's, be humble, be nice to people. The don'ts, you don't know everything. So don't act like you know everything. You can always learn. You can always learn from anyone. No matter how good or bad they are, you can learn from everyone. Don't talk about people behind their back. Even though you really want to, don't <laughs> talk about people. Facebook, Instagram, all Twitter, all those things. I, I don't belong to any of it because it can get you in trouble. You have to be very careful, especially if you're working in Hollywood. You cannot release any information you're working on a film at that time because they're very sensitive about all those things. So, so you have to be very careful what and who you talk about because that will come back and bite you in the bleep. So you have <laughs> to be very, 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 very cautious about that when you're in this industry. Uh, I know when I first graduated from Joe Blasco, I thought I knew everything about makeup because I just graduated. I thought my, you know, my skills were perfect. Boy, did I learn after I got out there and started working that I have a lot to learn. So that kicked me back a big notch, and I learned from that. So sometimes it, it takes those moments of being kicked in the bleep to um, – to, to go on to the next step, you know. I, I think I, going through my life and my mind and, and thoughts is just just be happy with yourself. Be, be, be happy with what you do. Enjoy what you do. That's going to that's gonna create a long life for you if you do that. Oh, you describe these things in wisdom and grace. Thank you for those. We appreciate that. Now we are in a strange season, uh, especially as artists, that our art is communal. 
it is collaborative and, and we do our art together, especially in the makeup industry. There's a very close relationship between designer and technician and actor. Within the changes of COVID and some of these changes as we're looking moving forward, what do you foresee are the influences on your industry with these changes? Well, number one, I am so glad that I retired three years ago. Timing. <laughs> because it was perfect timing. Timing, as they say, and it's so true, is everything in this industry. It is everything. It's where you're at at that time that you may take that next step to winning an Academy Award or doing that next project that's just going to up you the next time. But it's where you are, what you do at that time. And I am so glad I am retired now because um, my partner, John Jackson, is my husband, is uh, the secretary and treasurer of our local 706 out in Hollywood, makeup artist and hairstylist school. And I hear all of these things about you know, all, all of these makeup and the hair people, everybody is out of, are out of business now because, or were, they just opened it up, but it's going to take months, months to start up until they find uh, a cure, a vaccine for COVID. Nothing's really going to happen. We as makeup artists were always taught to be very sterile and very healthy if an actor would walk into the trailer and I was ready to do a makeup on them, I'd have a clean, beautiful setup, set up, clean brushes, clean everything, fresh pots of makeup, haven't been used by anything, it's all there. I'd, I'd, I'd welcome them in, not shake their hand, or I'd shake their hand and I'd say, excuse me, I have to go over and wash my hands and go over and wash my hands. Well, that started in the 90s for us as makeup artists. We were always there. So we're already that step ahead. However, there are so many stipulations going into effect now that things are coming back. Personally, that, I don't know how live theater is going to come back until there's a, a, a vaccine for all of this because you have all these people together. Each person just needs to take it on themselves to be clean, wear a mask around other people. Whether, whether you don't need it or not, you should wear a mask. It's just common sense and common dignity to do that right now in these times. Now, you know, a year from now, this may not be an issue because we may have a vaccine and we're going to move on. But to think that this is all over we can go back to the way we're living is ludicrous. Uh, it, it, it's a problem. It's a very, very large problem. I appreciate your honest thoughts on that, especially from someone who knows the industry and how your practices, specifically of cleanliness and health, because you are in such close contact with those actors that you were already very conscious of that. We appreciate that so much. Matthew, I cannot thank you enough for the time that you have taken out of your busy day to talk with us today. We really appreciate it. Oh, I so appreciate giving back right now. I so appreciate that's My retirement is all about giving back and sharing my, my life with other people. 
Matthew, thank you so much for spending this time with us today. And thank you to all of our listeners. Just a quick reminder, you can send ideas and feedback to us by emailing pokespodcasts, that's P-O-K-E-S-P-O-D-C-A-S, all one word, at okstate.edu. That's pokespodcasts at okstate.edu. And with that, we will close with our regular final question. Matthew, how do you see the arts and sciences making the world a better place? By putting positive content out there, positive love, positive thoughts in what our actions and, and the things we do can only lead to positive things. If we do negative things, put negative thoughts out there, it will only need, lead to negative things. I think each one of us has to be aware of the content and the projects we work on and only think about positive things as you're putting those things together. Even if it's a horror movie, just working with people and, and, and being positive with them, even though the content is not good. Um, it's, just, it, it's just being nice to uh, each other, I think is going to get us through our lives. Thank you.